Hi, friends. It's Diane, the host of the Sailing Legends podcast, and I am so happy you are here. This podcast proves to be the most amazing, rich content of sailing stories you will ever run across. I have been searching high and low for some of the most compelling, profound stories from people of all areas and all walks of life. Today's guest first learned how to sail in 1976. And this woman has achieved things that a lot of women have never done. And she has taken risks that are absolutely stunning. So get your tea or your coffee and sit back and kick your feet up and listen to some of the amazing stories and life adventures of today's guest, Alder Allensworth, who lives in Tampa now. Welcome, Alder. Oh, thank you for having me, Diane. This is so exciting because as I'm reading about you, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, we have sailed against each other before. Mm -hmm. And I recognized your first name, but I never knew your last name because you were on another boat. And so already the sailing community comes together in a new way for me just by putting out there the power of these stories. So I'm so glad that, that you're here. Uh it's fun to connect with a sailor who really knows what we're talking about and then can bring it to the world because sailing's not just about a few isolated people out on a boat. There's life lessons in it every day. Right, exactly. You know, and I've told people in all my ocean racing experiences, and I know you've done a lot of ocean racing as well, that, you know, we have to know who's on the boat with us because it's we have each other's lives in each other's hands when we're out there that it, it's way more to it than just hanging out and, and all of those things so it's so great to have another woman who's done these great things so let's get started with a little bit of understanding of when did you learn how to sail we know what year it was but tell us about how it was that it came into your life and what you thought about it in the very beginning my father was passionate about sailing, but he never, he was in the Navy, so he never lived anywhere that he could have a boat. And once he got to Charleston, and this was late in his career, he decided now's the time. And on the Navy base, they had a marina so he could keep his boat there. He got a 23-foot Watkins, which was made right here in the Tampa Bay area. And I would go home from college and we'd jump on the boat and he'd take us out and we started to learn to sail. And one of those summers, I took sailing lessons at the sailing center on Sunfish. And the NATO fleet happened to be in that summer. And here I was 19, 20 years old, young, and all these good looking sailors. And they were like, we've got to go race as part of this big NATO game. So you had like these NATO games of all the different countries and all the different ships. And so I raced sunfish. And since I've been taught to sail on the Cooper River, I knew the currents, I knew the winds, I knew what was going on. And I came in second. Whoa. And all these guys were toasting me, which, of course, really boosted the ego of this young girl. And I was hooked ever since. I've never looked back. Wow. What a great first experience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. So tell us a little bit about what, how did it develop? How did your sailing career develop from then? Well, of course, when I got out of college and started my career as a music therapist, I didn't have any money. 
And about all I could afford was a windsurfer. And windsurfing was just coming into its own. This was back in the early 80s. So I started windsurfing. And the lakes in Missouri, I was in Missouri at the time, they have some incredible lakes. And they also have some of the most wind in the United States. It just blows right across those plains. So I learned to sail on the lakes and raced and just had a ball and decided sailing was where it was at. And so I moved to Florida because that was where sailing was. And I continued my sailing career for fun and racing for fun while I made a living as a therapist. Oh, that's amazing. So what are, what are some lessons that you learned in those early windsurfing days up in Missouri? You know, because you don't really think about racing sailboats in Missouri in, in the same sentence. That's not common. So yeah, is there a lesson or an experience that stood out from that time frame that, that you'd like to talk about? Well, lake sailing, um, winds can be fluky around the edges of the lakes. But people would think, you know, winter time comes and ice comes, and that did not deter us because there was a power plant just south of Kansas City, and there was a lake that was all the water runoff from cooling the turbines, so it was a hot water lake. And so we could go, and in the winter time, we'd throw on our wetsuits, and the temperature of the lake wasn't that hot. It wasn't frozen. So we could go sailing and you'd start to freeze because you'd be wet. And so you'd fall in, get warm, get back up and go again. And one day it was snowing and it was just incredible to sail in the snow. I hadn't even thought about that until you asked me that question. That's what a fun memory that was. Oh my God, that's great. Sailing and it's snowing and the water is so warm that it's keeping you warm. I love it. I love it. Absolutely love it. So fast forward a little bit. You have sailed to Mexico from the Isla Mujeres race from St. Petersburg, Florida to Isla Mujeres, the Regatta del Sol a Sol. I've sailed it as well. It's 454 nautical miles. Tell us about that experience. Um, do you mind if I back up a little hair? No, not at all. Um, I got to where I lost my eye to cancer back in 1990 mm -hmm. and realized I couldn't compete windsurfing at that level. And I had joined a group called Windjammers of Clearwater. Mm -hmm. And they were just incredible. And that's who got me started on the big boats. And there was a sailor named Jeff Grossman and now he and his wife have written a book called Two Can Sail, and they travel around teaching couples to sail. Well, so, a little, so a little aside on that, yes. I was the minister who married Jeff and Jean, and I went to college with them, with Jeff. We sailed on oh, the University of Florida sailing team together. So Jeff Grossman is an amazing, and Jean is just the hop of the line. And they're very, very dear to me. So go, go ahead. <laughs> oh, wow. The coincidences keep going. <laughs> So I got involved in sailing and big boats and crewing and being part of a crew. And a woman named Linda Trimbley, you remember Linda? Yes. Way back when she was putting together an all women's team to race to Isla Mujeres. And apparently that had never been done before. 
I believe there was one mostly women's team and they had a male cook on board. But we were the first. And so we took off on a 40-foot mahogany cold molded boat that had been built in South Africa. And it was just such a blast. It was like the woman bonding experience. And I was the navigator and I was really feeling a lot of heavy pressure of making sure we got to where we were going. And so I didn't sleep much, but that didn't matter because everybody else was kind of picking up the pieces and everybody's supporting each other. And it was just a great experience. And one of the sailors, and I've told this story publicly before, but you may have remembered a woman named Patty Valerie. Mm-hmm. She was incredible sailor and quite a jokester. So she was on my shift and we were coming off and I was very anxious also about tugs and toes and seeing other boats out there because you don't want to get hit in the middle of the night by another boat. You need to be aware. So I was always asking, did you see any boats, see any traffic? And I was always a little anxious. And Patty, as we were going down, the group coming up says, so did you all see any boats? Did you see anything? And Patty says, Oh, we just saw um, one sailboat. Oh, really? Yeah, there were four naked men on board. What? And we just went on down and started getting ready to go to bed. And you heard him talking about, they saw a boat and there were four naked men on board? What? You could just hear him talking about that. And finally, someone says, well, why didn't you wake us up? She said, but there were only four of them. And there were only four of us. (laughs) But of course, that never happened. But it just was great. It kind of kept the spirit and the morale up and the fun. And it was just a great experience. So what was the the biggest lesson do you think you take away? That's an ocean race. It takes about four days to get there on those size boats. And so it's it's not an overnight. It's not a long day. It's several days and nights and get all kinds of interesting weather for a little context for those of you who have not done this kind of ocean racing and it's down the Gulf. So what was a big lesson that you learned? That it takes a team. Mm. That it really takes a team. We just each had a role to play. We each took a role. We each learned our specific role. Like one woman learned how to work on diesel engines for this trip. I learned how to do celestial navigation in case we lost our power and our Loran at the time. We had one of those newfangled GPSs that nobody knew much about. Um, But it took every one of us to make that happen. Unfortunately, we did have to quit. We got becalmed out in the middle off of Cuba and started being pushed backwards by the Gulf Stream and people had planes to make and there was no good, the weather was not going to settle down and blow for us. It was just like a lake. Wow. So we had to make the decision to quit and go on in under power, which was really tough, tough decision to quit and do that. But, you know, we were a team. Wow, that's that's one of those where you work really, really hard. And, and I've had to be on races where you just be calmed and 
that you do the math and there's only you can't do anything any different you have to stop and it's it's heartbreaking in a lot of ways right so I'm curious about what you said it was like a women's bonding experience what are some things that you experience that really help bring the team together like you're out there you know in the middle of the water which is so beautiful it's just stunning out there you can Mm -hmm. see the Milky Way and all kinds of great stuff and so what is What's something that you would consider a, a powerful woman's bonding experience that you experienced in that race? I was really getting tired because I was up checking our position almost round the clock and thinking, ah, four days I can do this. And my Lorraine was telling me I was one place. My dead reckoning with the um, sextant was telling me I was close to what the Loran said, but the GPS was telling me I was, I'm sorry, I got it confused. The GPS and the dead reckoning were together. The Loran was telling me I was almost on the reef that runs along the Yucatan. And we were seeing these tiny little red flashing lights. And I knew there were lights on the reef. So are we next to the reef or are we 11 miles off where we should be and i was trying to figure this out and charla one of the other women on board says i don't know much about navigating but you're exhausted and i can ask you questions and we can talk and we can figure this out Mm -hmm. so we started doing that and we decided that we were going to call the Mexican Navy, which is the yacht club, which finishes that race. And they said, well, what we'll do is shoot a flare off the front of the boat and you watch for it and get your bearing on the flare. Then we'll set a second one and then you get the compass setting and you'll know where you are and how to come into Isla Mujeres. They shot the first flare off. We were exactly on course. My dead reckoning and the GPS were correct. The Loran was incorrect because of the lack of radio towers in Cuba and the ability for that to triangulate. And the little red flashing lights were the lights at the airport in Cancun. And because of the curvature of the earth, it looked like they were right on the water. Wow, stunning. It was. It was incredible. But for Charlotte to say, hey, we can do this. I know you're tired. Let's see if we can work this out together. It's just what a treat. That's amazing. And that's how it is in in these kinds of races and scenarios, you know, when, when you sail a lot, and I'm sure that we'll hear many, many more of these stories on this podcast and just in our conversations as sailors that that we have each other's back in a way that's kind of unspoken, like we're paying attention. Like she noticed that you were tired and stepped up to offer her assistance. And, and that's very, very common in yacht racing. It may not be common um, walking down the street or in the mall or at work in some places, but when you're on a, a boat together and there's that connection that I think transcends words, often those things happen where we just know instinctively and support each other. So that was like a huge example of how that works. It's great. Yeah. So have you done any sailing since then? Oh, heavens, yeah. Um, not long after that, 
because sailing for me was therapy, helping me get through the cancer. Mm -hmm. I started giving back by volunteering for a sailing program for people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And in 2000, they asked me to sail a 12-foot boat from St. Pete to Camden, Maine. So I got on this 12-foot Bower 12 in St. Petersburg and started sailing it down the west coast of Florida, around the bottom of Florida, right through the Everglades. That was phenomenal going through there. Up the east coast, and when I got to Moorhead City, I was pretty exhausted. I pretty much had enough and things were not working out quite the way we thought they were going to work out. And one of my favorite sailors and sailing writers is Tristan Jones. Are you familiar with him? Oh, yes. yes. Well, I was got a hold of one of his books, Encounters of a Wayward Sailor, and I opened up to the end and he was writing about he had just finished sailing around the world he had lost a leg and he said you know i'm kind of down and depressed about this i don't know why i should and then he said as i thought about it you know we really shouldn't be out there alone striving and sailing these oceans alone what we need to do is help that crippled child get on their own boat and sail their own dinghy. Mm -hmm. So I came back to Clearwater and because the trip was followed by CNN, it was pretty high profile. I was able to get the funding and Clearwater Community Sailing Center stepped up, the city of Clearwater stepped up and we started Sailability Greater Tampa Bay. And what a great, great experience that has been over the years of teaching people of all abilities to sail. And I do have a sailor story about that, too. Well, I want to hear it. <laughs> well, we were asked to do, we had attended the first annual Access Dinghy. We use Access Dinghies, which are specially designed little sailboats that people of any ability can sail. And I had been to the first annual North American championships in this boat. Well, then we decided we were going to hold the champion, the second annual North American championships in Clearwater. And we didn't have much time to do it, but we put it together. It all happened just the way it was supposed to. And a young woman named Nava George came from Australia to, per, to race. She was a quadriplegic and lives on a ventilator, doesn't sail, move from the neck down. And she was racing and steering by herself in her own access dinghy and sailing with her chin. And she taught us how to do that. So a veteran at the VA hospital, Lynn Moore, said he wanted to learn to sail, and he too is a ventilated quadriplegic. And the whole community pulled together we got a boat from the Christopher Reeve Foundation. We got it set up just like Nava's boat was set up. Custom mobility came in. They set out of all the seating. I went over to the VA and I taught Linda Sail. And if you're going to be a certified dinghy sailor, there are certain things you have to do. 
and one of them is a man overboard drill. So we got him on the boat. He's sailing with his chin. So he moves his chin forward and the sails go out. He brings his chin back. The sails come in. He goes right. The boat goes right. He goes left. The boat goes left. So controlling everything on winches with his chin. So I tell him, you know, you're learning to sail. And if you see someone in the water floating or if someone's in trouble, Sure, you don't have any arms or legs or that you can use, but at least you can go over next to them and wait and kind of give them a respite or a place to hang on to or whatever. So I want you to sail right up next to this life jacket and bring your boat to a stop. And we're talking about a life jacket that's floating in the water. He's maneuvering a sailboat with the wind, the currents, the waves, and only his chin. This guy brought that boat first time to a dead stop right next to that life jacket. I have never seen a better sailor than Lynn Moore's. It was just such a delight. And he came and sailed with us for at least five years after that. And the VA would bring him over and bring in a team. We always had a safety boat on the water in case the ventilator stopped. He had five minutes to live if his ventilator stopped. So we always had a safety boat and a plan for that. But that never happened, and it was just beautiful. Wow. That, oh, that's magical. It gives me goosebumps, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And so you get, you get to be part not only of your own victories sailing and your own mm-hmm. amazing experiences personally, but you're a great ambassador for the sport. And all that it teaches us and all that really is from our heart. Like I'm all choked up hearing that story (laughs) because it's it's so important and it is so touching. Mm -hmm. And so as you reflect like on all of your really great sailing experiences, if there is somebody listening who's just fascinated by stories, but maybe they don't sail yet or they're a beginner, do you have a message that you'd want to say to them? That person who who's thinking about it or just starting? Well, what pops into my mind first off is when I learned to windsurf, my very first windsurfing lessons, I was on a little lake in Missouri, and my teacher tied my windsurfer to a line, and he threw a concrete block on the other one and threw it out, and I had to sail, and I'd hit the end of that line, and I had to learn to turn that sucker around before I hit the end of that line because every time I'd hit the end of that line, it would throw me off. It just sudden stop and I'd hit the water. And I was getting so mad, but he didn't want to have to figure out how to get me from the other side of the lake. So (laughs) I, about noon, I was exhausted. I had had enough. I was never going to be able to turn that board around. I was never going to be able to learn this. It was crazy. It was stupid all those things. And I went and ate lunch and I had a good cry. And then I kind of bucked myself up and said, you're going to do this. Don't give up. Just don't give up. So I got back on that windsurfer and be darned if just that break, all of a sudden I'm turning that thing around, spinning it around, sailing back and forth. He's like, you're off the line. 
and out I went, freedom on the water. So don't ever give up. It's hard. It's a hard sport to learn, but learn the fundamentals, keep yourself safe, and just don't ever give up. Mm, that's a great one. It is a hard sport, and it's also rewarding, and mm -hmm. there's great foundation. So I assume you're still sailing all the time. You haven't given up the sport, <laughs> certainly not. And so tell us a little bit about your current sailing adventures. Well, right now I'm a member of Boca Ciega Yacht Club, and I hadn't sailed for a while. I was taking care of family and those responsibilities, um, my parents, and they are deceased now, so I have a chance to go back. So I joined Boca Ciega Yacht Club, and I started sailing there. I can take out any of their capris anytime I want to, so I don't have to own my own boat. And I sail with lots of wonderful people as crew on big boats down there. And I sail the women's race, the women's challenge, they call it now, every year and different boats. And there's just, it's my respite. It's my time to just go out and let go of everything else in the world. It just is so perfect being right there next to nature. It's kind of where I talk to God. Mm, me too. Sometimes on some night races, I kind of want the whole crew to go to sleep so I can have me, God, and the boat and wind. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, it's okay. I'll stay up. <laughs> I'll drive. Yes. <laughs> go ahead. Don't feel guilty. <laughs> so, oh, when you're, so when you're sailing in, in the club races and you're – having fun with all different kinds of people on different boats and everything. And you just said that you go, you get away and you go racing, sailing in order to have a respite. Now those don't seem to go together. So how are you having a respite while you're racing? Even though I can understand it, I would love to hear how, how that works for you that, that a competitive adventure is a respite. Um, I'm a counselor, I'm a nurse, I'm a coach, so I'm working with people every day. And it takes all my energy, all my focus to work with people every day, and I try not to take it home. But there's so many people that need so much. And when I'm out on the water, it takes everything to sell well to sail the way I like to sail by making sure the boat is tuned the best it can be tuned, that it's sailing the best it can sail. That takes so much focus. It's just like everything else disappears. And it's so rewarding to just feel that boat. There's something about when you settle in, you know what it's like when the boat heals just the right amount, <sighs> the sails are just right, and you're just in the zone. Mm -hmm. And you're just going along in the zone, and that just transcends everything for me. Oh, yes. Absolutely, it does. I'm, I'm doing that right now in my visualization. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, beautifully said. And I feel it. Oh, that's wonderful. Before I let you go, I'm having so much fun asking you all these questions. 
And before I let you go, uh, I know that you're a published author as well. Mm -hmm. And I would like you to share a little bit about that. And of course, I will put how to get a hold of your book in the show notes along with your website and email so that people can contact you, of course, from the show along with your um, sailing bio. Those will all be in the show notes. But if you could talk a little bit about the book and the inspiration for it, how it came about and, and you know, what it means to you. Um, my father had a stroke and I had been saying every year in my new year's resolutions, I'm going to write that book about sailing. I'm going to write that book about sailing. Well, dad had a stroke and he couldn't live alone. So we brought him to the house and I quit my job and I was taking care of him. But he didn't need me like every second, but I couldn't leave the house either. So that pretty much forced me to take on this project. And it was the right time. I had been to a support group. I lost an eye to something called adenocystic carcinoma, the lacrimal gland. And it's a very rare cancer and a very fatal cancer. And I am just so blessed to have survived it. I've survived 29 years cancer-free. Congratulations. Oh, that's great news. Thank you. Well, I'm listening to the people in the support group, and they're like, so what have you done? What are your strategies? And I thought, you know, I should really write down my strategies. I mean, there's no silver bullet. There's no guarantees. But... I did the best I could with the time I had to live as full as I could. And maybe I should just write those strategies down. So I started writing down the strategies and then that took me to the prevail trip. Mm-hmm. And I had all the emails from that, all my notes from that, my diaries, pictures. So I believe that the prevail trip was really part of the purpose or going through the cancer. I don't know if I said that well. Right. But the prevail trip, I started, the book just flowed into the prevail trip. So I wrote about the prevail trip, which of course flowed into sailability. Right. And I wrote about sailability. And then I had some friends um, edit it for me because I'm not the best at writing grammatically. And they did that. And a woman named Tara Richter with Richter Publishing was having a writing contest. Mm -hmm. I know Tara. (laughs) You know Tara. That's one of the ways I believe we got hooked up. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so I sent in the manuscript to her writing contest and I won. So I got the book contract. And so the book came out in March of 18. And it's my, it's called Prevail, which is the name of the boat, Celebrate the Journey. And it's all about celebrating the journey. Because none of us know where life's going to take us, how long, what's going to happen, but just celebrate every day you have here on this earth. Mm, That's amazing. I love the story behind the book. You know, it's like, Uh that's amazing. And so I'm going to put a link to how to buy that book in the show notes so oh, people can you. can follow that because it's powerful 
to really revisit and see the flow and and have the strategies of how did it all work out because yes this all is fascinating and amazing and it's really cool that you've done all these neat things and it took a lot to do it it took a lot of behind the scenes work it took a lot of strategy it took a lot of forethought and it took a lot of motivation a lot of people wouldn't turn around and say I'm gonna take these experiences and turn it into something greater and bigger for others that that a level of service to others mm. is a unique quality which is makes it obvious to me why you're in the kind of you know work you do professionally mm. too and so that book I'm sure is very powerful I know I'm going to buy it I was thinking about it when we first signed up for the show. I'm like, I should get that book. That'd be kind of fun. Now I'm certain I'm getting it. It's one of those where, oh, but that's the story behind it. I'm in. You know, one of those. And I'm so grateful to my father. Talk about full circle. He taught me to sail. Mm -hmm. And here he was at my home giving me the opportunity to write the book. Yes. So it's just amazing how life works out that way. Right. It worked and it's always working out beautifully like that and in that harmony. It's just we need to pay attention to it and follow it. And I think that's part of sailing, you know, mm -hmm. like the lifts and the headers and the feel of the boat on the water and the, the wind and all of it that goes together takes an, an amazing ability to actually connect on those deeper levels. Yes. And when we can do that, magical things happen. Yes. Well said. So is there any other story or any other neat adventure regarding your sailing that I didn't ask about or something that you might want to say on, about anything that has to do with sailing? Well, when I came back, when I quit that trip early, I was really down. I felt like a loser. I never made it to Maine. And yet had a happy ending, but there was a space in there where I really felt like a loser and I had let everybody down because mm -hmm. everybody was following me to Maine and CNN was following the trip. They wanted to see if I got to Maine. You know, I felt like I let everyone down. And actually CNN did step up later and helped with sailability. And with that part of the trip, but a good friend of mine, David Cook, he's a Canadian, lives in British Columbia, Victoria. He was silver medalist in the Paralympic sailing in 1996. And he called me and he said, come up this summer for a couple of weeks. I need crew for this big race up in British Columbia. Come up and race with me. And I'm thinking, you're asking this loser who couldn't even finish sailing to come up and race with like this Olympic champion? So that really kind of gave me a lift. Mm -hmm. Like he didn't think I was a loser. He wanted me on his team. So I flew up to British Columbia and David has um, progressive muscular atrophy. He um, doesn't have much movement from the neck down yet he races and we got out on that boat and we had another um, couple of racers on board with us and we raced the regatta we had a great time and david said now we're going cruising and i'm thinking how are we going to go cruising i mean and he rigged up this whole hoist system so i could hoist him up 
from where he was sitting to drive the boat and swing him over and drop him down inside the boat so he could lay down on the bed and go to sleep. And he just had this boat all tricked out. So we're going on our cruise. We're going to Salt Spring Island. And David says, okay, let's pop the spinnaker. And I thought, wait a minute. It's just the two of us now on board. The other couple races done, they've gone home. And I'm thinking, how on earth are we going to pop the spinnaker? He can hardly drive the boat, has the strength to hold on to the tiller. How's he going to handle all those lines? I'm going to handle a pole and a big sail and I'm going to do this. He says, you just get up there, you put the pole up, you run the lines, put them here. No problem. He says, now pull it up. And I'm pulling the spinnaker up and it pops and the boat's going forward. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going to go over. But no, it just settles in. We go flying up and I'm looking at him going, how on earth did this man just do that? And that's what makes him a champion. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter that he didn't have any of that physical ability. He was able to coach me. He had the faith that we could do it, and we did it, and that just built me right back up. So mm. that's what sailors are all about. We're about building each other up out there. Yeah, we are. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm glad you shared that story. It's true. We, it is about believe, believing in each other and building each other up and being there for each other. No matter how bad we yell at each other on the race course. <laughs> I tell everybody that yelling on the race course is an adrenaline push. It has it's not, none of it's personal. And if you take it personally or you mean it personally, if you're the one yelling, then you're in the wrong sport. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. And so you got to go cruising. and yeah, Beautiful got, British Columbia. I got to go cruising. That's a beautiful area. I just went was at Pender Island not long ago myself, and oh, it was the first time I'd ever been there. It was spectacular. I don't know where that is. It's close to where you were. It's one of the islands oh. out there. Oh, okay. I don't know. I can't tell you exactly which direction from it, but I know <laughs> that Salt Island and all those were near where we were when we went our, mm. were on the ferry. So I know that <laughs> it was closer. Oh, and it's so gorgeous. The eagles, yes. the orcas. Oh, just incredible. It's stunning. I know when I was on the ferry and I saw the sailboats, I'm like, ooh, I'm loving it here and they're sailing. This is a possibility. I, I could go <laughs> there. You know, this this wouldn't be too far away. Look at there's whales, eagles, mm -hmm. boats, water, mm -hmm. wind. I'm good. That's right. <laughs> oh, awesome. So any other stories? Anything else coming to mind you want to share? Oh my goodness. How long do you have? Um, I've got all sorts of stories. Um, when I got into double, after I lost the eye and got into double-handed racing, I couldn't on a windsurfer be competitive at the level I was competitive at because every time I turned my head to look at the angles, I turned my body and turned the sail and lost my heading. So I needed somebody else's vision. Mm. So I got into double-handed sailing. 
So, and I learned to drive the boat, drive the dinghy. I had a Coronado 15, which is a blast. It's a little 15 foot sailing dinghy and the crew trapezes. They get out on this wire and hang out over the water to hold the boat flat. And a friend of mine, she raised Toby's, so I knew she could trapeze. So I asked her if she would sail with me in the women's races. And then we decided to sail in all the races together. And we were the only all-women's crew out there during the regular season. And I had this reputation because it took me a while to figure out this boat. It's really tender. It flips over really easily. And I was upside down the first year more than I was right side up in that boat. <laughs> they threatened to put my phone number and name on the bottom of the boat. So my reputation preceded me. So she says to me, I don't swim. I'm thinking, wait a minute, you're from the Bahamas. You're a sailor. What do you mean you don't swim? She said, I didn't say can't. I said, I don't swim. <laughs> we are not flipping this boat over. <laughs> so we went and we cleaned up that season, just got all sorts of trophies, just had a ball, had a blast. Well, when I was sailing that 12 foot boat and I was coming into Naples, the wind had gotten really strong. There were big waves. I saw actually a big sailboat go over, get knocked down in the channel it came back up and I'm thinking I'm in this little 12 foot boat. If I get knocked down in this big channel, what's mm -hmm. going to happen? And all I could hear was Jackie's voice saying, I don't swim. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it's like, we are not going to swim. We're making it through that channel. So. And you made it through the channel, that. right? And I made it through the channel. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, oh, that's great. Well, I think, if you're open to it and willing, I would love to do another episode with some more of your neat stories. And I also would like to talk to you about how some of your sailing lessons have translated into your professional life and other parts of your life and how they've intersected. Um, that's a little bit off just the stories part, but I think it's really, mm. uh, would be a really cool topic. Is that something you're willing to do? Yeah. And you just brought one right to mind. So Perfect. yes. Absolutely. In fact, I'd forgotten about that story. So yeah. Well, tell, tell that story right now and then we'll think of other ones for the next show. Okay. Um, I worked at hospice, Suncoast Hospice for many years as a counselor while I was sailing and we had sailability going. And there was a volunteer coordinator on one of the teams. Her name was Joy Swisher, who you may know. I know her well. Yes. And she knew about sailability and the sailing. Well, they had a patient that was dying who loved to sail. And that was like his last wish. He wanted to sail at least one more time. And he was in his 90s. So we got it all arranged. And we took him down to sailability. And his family was there. It was winter time, And they had him all bundled up. And we got him into the boat and I got in the boat with him and we're sailing and he's like, can I take the helm? I'm like, of course. <laughs> Cause it was like, am I taking him for a ride? Can he still do it? And then he just said, can I have the helm? It's like, yeah. So he took the helm 
and he just sailed us all over that bay. It was just a delightful afternoon. So that's part of where my work and my sailing life have crossed, is bringing that sailing to, I guess, that joy back to somebody who is dying at the end of life. That's beautiful. And that's a great little teaser for the next episode. <laughs> too. That's wonderful. Well, I want to thank you, Alder, for spending all this time and sharing all of your stories. I have laughed so hard and I have tears in my eyes from being sentimental, all the emotions that I, that I expected to have doing this podcast. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, Diane, thank you for having me. And I'm so excited to see you on the water. Oh, it'll be fun. <laughs> so everybody, you've been listening to Alder Allensworth, an amazing woman and great sailor. And these stories have really touched me. I'm sure they've touched you. So thank you for listening to the Sailing Legends podcast. And until our next episode, may you have fair winds and following seas. <laughs>